It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is Time Enough Podcast. Welcome to Time Enough Podcast. It's where we delve into all of the episodes of the Twilight Zone and beyond. As always, Matt is here. Luke is here for a comedy episode. You want to, up after he sneezes? Power sneeze. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, that sneezing on my intro is a funnier joke than anything in this episode. So, <laughs> so yeah, you're on another comedy episode, which, which you were complaining for a while that I kept giving you. Yeah, so then apparently it was demanded that you keep putting me on comedy episodes because I hate them right, so right. well. Right, so <laughs> <laughs> so we're doing a three for today. The other fellow here is, um, well, now a regular, but uh, he was like, I like Luke on the comedy episode. So it's like, okay, let's let's make this, this kind of like the WrestleMania of comedy episodes then. Hello, Sean. Hello, guys. Uh, sorry, Luke, for uh, <laughs> making you <laughs> suffer in uh, going through this one. I, I will. I do have to ask you: Is it worse than Mister Dingle the Strong? Uh, yes. Okay, uh, you're, you're yes. I'm no. Well, actually, no. It it's not worse. There is one joke in this that is really funny, but only because it's an episode of the Twilight Zone, right? Which is the repeated use of the jump through glass trope. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like that's a joke when it happens in serious episodes so the fact that they lead into it and do it like twice in the space of two minutes here is great and she took that like it was nothing and she's like what's the signal for i'm sorry yeah like <laughs> she should be lacerated to like yeah. ribbons but no she we see okay on a bus exactly. yeah. um question for you guys because i have the blu-ray and i had the option of laugh track or no laugh track uh, both the versions I found that I watched, because one of them was messing up, so I found a different one, were no laugh track. Sean, how about on your end? You know, I I had the, the collection on DVD, and I got a way to watch it on Paramount, so it came minus laugh track. And I will say I've never seen it with the laugh track. I, I did go with laugh track. Now, I have, you know, I have MASH DVDs. You can turn the laugh track off on MASH. I always turn the laugh track off on MASH. But for this one, I don't know. I just was like, this is the only Twilight Zone I'm going to watch with one. So I guess I'll do it because I, I, I do. I hate laugh tracks. I don't think a show should be telling me when to laugh. But in this case, I needed it to tell me when it was supposed to be a joke. <laughs> I don't yeah. like laugh tracks. I am somewhat okay with um, filmed in front of a live audience. Which, like, when you're watching it, I guess there's not much difference, but... In principle, one of them seems more fair than the other. Yeah, I guess. And then there's, I was going to say there's good laugh tracks. Well, there's some good, you know, when I mean good, I mean, they're not overused, like, and they're not annoying where um, you would see those TGIF shows or like Saved by the Bell. And every time somebody hot would walk in or somebody was kissing, it'd be like, 
<laughs> so Saved by Bell, of course, had the audience of children, uh, the live yeah. the audience of children. The tweeners, so. the tweens, yeah. The tweens, yes. Um, laugh tracks. Oh, yes, my favorite laugh track of all time is in David Lynch's Inland Empire. A very long movie shot on digital. I don't like the fact that it's shot on early digital, but it has sequences, which you can watch on YouTube. Uh, and Luke, I think I may maybe tried to show everybody this before. I don't know if you were a co-worker at that point, but it's Rabbits. The sitcom oh, Rabbits. you showed me Rabbits, not at work, just independently. Okay, yeah, but that's where the people in the creepy rabbit suits are in a dark, dank living room set. Just There's eerie, like, ambient music playing. They come out and just say, honey. I have come home. And then the audience just rips out in laughter. So that's my favorite laugh track. <laughs> yeah, I actually referenced um, David Lynch's Rabbits on a Pokemon podcast a few months back. Okay, so you're, 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 you're tasting that flavor, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's, that's my favorite laugh track. Uh, mm. Let's get into this episode, I guess. So I will do the trivia. Original air date was May 25th, 1962. Script is by Rod Serling, A Bit in Search of Another Show. This is an early example of a backdoor pilot meant to spawn off a new show. It did not work here, but would later go gangbusters with resultant series like Mork and Mindy, Frasier, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Better Call Saul, worked with all those. So, so something I saw on the old um, Insta, uh, the Wikipedia just now, this wasn't even Rod's first attempt. Yep. In the Twilight Zone? I know I know where yeah. you're going to go with this, but I'll let you finish. Uh, um, Mr. Beavis, or whatever it was called, the previous yep. Guardian Angel one, yep. was also him trying to get his his idea for a Guardian Angel show off the ground. Yeah, so I guess it took what, to, well, we, we eventually get what, Highway to Heaven, Touched by an Angel? Like, yep. A little different than the Rod <laughs> Serling flavor would have been, but. Yeah. So he, like Rod Serling was convinced that this was a this idea was gold for whatever reason. Yeah, yeah. It's you know some people get the uh you know get fixated on the on the this was his driving crooner. Well, if you think about it, hasn't this trope kind of been repeated throughout series and t in um movies? This whole well, this genie or this uh guardian angel is going to show you what your life can really be like, and it all's you know you end up seeing yourself or. Every, you're you're full and rich with everything you already have. You don't need to see how it is on the other side. You know what I mean? I guess it works. How obnoxious would be a whole TV show that did that every week, though? Yeah. Highway You're like, look, peasants, you're, you're fine in your place. That would be what I would call this show. <laughs> uh, sorry, I, I, let me get back on track with the, with the trivia. Uh, but yeah, where were we? Christian Knight. Don't worry, I'll get you off it again. Yeah, that's fine. I just I wanted to make sure I get back to it and not forget it. I almost forgot the tripometer yesterday. <laughs> Christian Ivey directed, while he has all those cowboy TV credits like Gunsmoke and Wagon Train, let's focus on his feature film career. He edited classics such as The Big Sleep and Red River and notched a notable genre credit with Luke. Do you know it? We've said this guy's name before. No. 1951's The Thing from Another World. It's okay. been a while since we said his name. Yeah, plus, you know, when I hear the thing, I just immediately start thinking of the cast and the director of the late, the later one. Yeah, of course. I mean, of course, the 2000s one. Yes, by that. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to make that joke, but I, was, eh, I didn't feel like it, but you did. Yeah. Agnes I'll never Rip leave a joke unmade. <laughs> you know this. 
Agnes Grepp was played by Carol Burnett. It's no stretch of the imagination to note that she was the lead of the wildly popular comedy variety show, The Carol Burnett Show. You also find her in films like Annie and Horton Hears a Who, and even more recently on the TV show getting a second shout-out in this episode, Better Call Saul. Jessie White, like, yeah, she's old in it. Look for the old lady. Also, I don't know that you could say Better Call Saul a backdoor pilot a while ago. Like, yeah. Bet- Saul showed up in, like, season two of Breaking Bad, and then Better Call Saul came out, like, six years later. I don't know if it was <laughs> actually a backdoor pilot. Yeah, I, you know what? I, I didn't actually type that into my trivia. I just started saying it. And once I started saying it, I had that exact same thought, but thought, yeah, oh, maybe but like, no one will call me on it. But now I've been called You might it. be right, because the, ep- the first episode he appears in is called Better Call Saul and does feel like a backdoor pilot. But then he okay. becomes a major part of the series for, like, three more seasons before he gets his own show. Well, you could say Star Trek Strange New Worlds is the backdoor pilot from Star Trek Discovery, or you could just say it's the uh, season order from the 1965 pilot, right? Mm-hmm. So you can call it the original Trek if you want, although that feels weird. One more guy, Jesse White, played Harmon Cavender. He appeared alongside Jimmy Stewart in the classic Harvey, but made a bigger impact as old, lonely, and Maytag commercials from the 1960s to the 1980s but not for any of us because we're slightly... I mean, I might have seen him in the 80s, but he didn't really leave an impact. So I felt like he'd have bigger credits. I mean, he does have screen presence here. He seems like someone that would be in stuff. You know, uh, he gives me Ed Asner vibes. Maybe that's what I was getting, yeah. And he was also in Stop at Willoughby. He was push, 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 you know, Uh, season one. Maybe The boss. Okay, maybe that's what did it for me. Yeah, the push, 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 so... I also saw him on one episode of Green Acres as a judge. But, you know, he got around in all those shows at the time. I know I've said Green Acres on this show a lot, but I've never actually seen it. Um, I don't know. I guess in 2024, I'm unlikely to start. Well, you never know if I suddenly, you know. I'm an old man in a 30-something-year-old's body. So yeah, I, mean, I watch I'm a lot watching, of older shows. I'm watching this show. <laughs> hey, are you a farmer? Because here's a couple of acres. <laughs> Okay, who who wants the lazier part of this two-part prologue? Small message of reassurance to that horizontal young lady. Don't despair. Help is en route. It's coming in an odd form from a very distant place, but it's nonetheless coming. It was pretty good, but it went really weird when you said en route. Yeah, I can't say a French word in a Schwarzenegger accent. It just doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, okay. Of course, whenever I do it, it's McBain. But yeah. route to the chopper. And I can't even do this justice. <laughs> Submitted for your approval. The case of one Miss Agnes Grepp. Put on earth with two left feet. An overabundance of thumbs. And a propensity. Pro- I'm struggling with this word here. Propensity for falling down. Propensity. Thank you, guys, for falling down manholes. In a moment, she will be up to her jaw in miracles. Rocked by an apprentice angel, Harmon Cavendier, intent on winning his wings, and though it's a fact that both of them should have stood in bed. Stood in bed? Should have been stay in bed? Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. math. They, <laughs> they will tempt all the fates by moving into the cold gray dawn of Twilight Zone. I... I... I think that's a weaky mistake, but yeah, yeah, I could have read it beforehand, yes. So, which yeah. I didn't do. <laughs> well, sometimes I know when you watch with subtitles, 
if you guys have that option. Sometimes the subtitles will mess up. I have the really messed up subtitles because I'm watching all of this stuff on like dodgy websites. Like, like I'll watch, uh, like when I catch up on some Japanese wrestling stuff, like um, some videos they put on YouTube and I'll have to translate it into English. They, I know they're totally messing up words. Mm -hmm. Like, I know they're not saying this. <laughs> Sorry, I had a thought and I lost it. Um, hey, Luke, do you know Carol Burnett is? No. Okay, just curious. I, I feel like she's kind of like Americans would know, but maybe maybe they would Yeah, she's kind of like an American icon. So <laughs> it makes sense. Yeah, Luke wouldn't, <laughs> he wouldn't know too much. But um, her show, um, it didn't do it for me too much. I mean, I, I didn't grow up with it, but when I it reruns on me TV a lot. And um, too much singing and dancing for me. I was more of a Vicky Lawrence fan. It was like her best friend all those years and like one of her uh, co-stars on the show. And yeah, um, I, I've never even seen the show to I mean, I've probably seen a little bit of it because it does. It Again, it is a big part of American culture. But some of the sketches go on just way too long. Um, Sorry, I think no, Mama's I Family or The Family was one of her best creations, probably. Did you guys ever watch Mama's Family with Vicky Lawrence? Have you ever heard of I, that? I did see that because they that would just permanent in the late 80s, early 90s. That would just permanently be on at Sundays at like some weird part of the afternoon, like. It used to be on TBS for me back in like the early 2000s. They would like be on before like Full House and Stay by the Bell and TBS. Um, all of me. this, all of these shows you're talking about sound like made up TV shows from a textbook to me. What's happening? <laughs> What's happening now? Sorry, when you said Mama's Family, I it was like, oh, the theme song stuck in my head, but I realized it's actually the theme song for What's Happening. So I guess that one's catchy. Well, it was originally the sketch was called The Family, and I see. I feel like that would be a British show or something. I'm, I feel like there's a British show called The Family. Is there, Luke? Uh, yeah, there was. Um, my family was called. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. Um, Actually, that's right. I don't know why I recently heard history about Mama's family, but yeah, it was, it was based off of the British one. Uh, but you wouldn't have heard of it because why would they? Why would you? Yeah. <laughs> it, it's kind of like I, how. I don't think they're the same. The show I'm thinking of is the same show because the show I'm thinking of is from like the 90s. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's probably not it. Um, anyway, yeah. Americans, you see her on screen, even if you're not into your show, you're like, oh, yeah, that's Girl Burnett. That's great. Also, she looks like my aunt when she was young. So, you know, it's it's hard to dislike her from my corner. She's yeah. she's she is likable in this. She's just given like not much to work with. She wasn't like funny. And, you know, this episode, like, you know, I like this episode. I don't hate it. Um. That's, you know, saying a lot because a lot of people really like when you talk about worst episodes, people either say this episode or the Baird from season four. And it's just. I can't. I guess the Carol Burnett love keeps me from fully wanting to embrace the hate and just keeps my love with it. Um, And whereas you, Luke, you have no Carol Burnett affiliations. Yeah, so I wouldn't. <laughs> I also wouldn't say I hate it. But that's because it, it failed to raise well, dislike, any I should feeling say. of dislike. anything from me. I didn't oh. like it. I didn't dislike it. It just happened. Yeah. And then it was over. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> but there's not a lot of, it's kind of like, uh, it lacks a lot too, because there's not much in here. There's like a party, there's a bus ride, there's yeah, her trying to become like, a... there's like a couple of setups, and then there's like three scenes in two locations. Yeah. It's like they, they uh, did some joke writers, like you know, from down the hall, because Rod Serling is a great writer, but he doesn't construct jokes well. 
Yeah, and you know what? Speaking of Rod being the writer, you know, obviously he wrote this one and he wrote Mr. Beavis. So, you know, it's um it proves, you know, he can not always turn in some good there's gotta be some not as good ones in the pile as there are with others. Oh no, I have to, you know, sometimes just get the image of the guy sitting by his pool talking a script into a dictaphone while, you know, sipping a martini. So But like um, you know. Maybe it's not a debate we should be having yet, but Jordan Peele, he can do horror and comedy. That I think we've pretty conclusively true. proven that while Rod Sterling might be a master of one of those things, he's not a master of both. <laughs> and uh, I, I would always put forth that turbulent sketch in the Key and Peele show as like one of the best half and halves. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, where he's just like, please sit down, and he's, I don't know, do I have to? Is it, is it the law? Is it the law? And then he starts doing the, uh, looks like he's controlling the turbulence with his mind or something. So I'm like, that that's a perfect junction of like Twilight Zone weirdness and being funny. For me. I guess um, let's, let's talk uh, about what we do get in the show. One, if you're going to have angels, why these wings? I mean, they're like epaulets. I brought up that. Go ahead, Luke. I'm guessing either budget or they thought it looked funny. The second, I mean, you just get a bigger piece of cloth, right? And I would assume it's not too much of a. And do you notice the transition up into the heavens when they were going to the angels was the same transition in the opening credits of the Twilight? Yeah, it's the opening credits space shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I did did wonder if Serling was. I I guess he's doing the prologue here because it's it's the Twilight Zone. But if it went to uh, air. Was he going to prologue it every week? That would have been weird. Well, I think he was physically here for this one because uh, I don't know if you guys have seen that picture of that fam- that picture with him and Carol Burnett. I've seen like a thousand times on Facebook groups, but um, they're arm wrestling on the floor, Rod Sterling and Carol Burnett, while she's in the whole getup of the usherette suit in the beginning. Well, yeah, he he was putting skin in the game for this one, which yeah, you know, like the dummy I thought was much better a few weeks ago, but that was one that you know he likely wasn't on set for. So yeah, and we got Uncle Ben. Well, Uncle Ben, depending on which Spider-Man you watch, there's many, many, oh, yeah. many variations now. Oh, it's like you choose your doctor. He'll, he's always my Uncle Ben. Yeah. Um, uh, real quick though, we're on uh just on the wings thing. Um, so to earn your wings, mm. did, did he come from another place and he's trying to do good graces like in heaven and he's trying to earn his wings? That like, why would he have to earn his wings if he's already in heaven? Shouldn't you have already earned your wings by going to heaven? I mean, I'm not a... Oh, He wasn't necessarily a human. Like, he's an angel, and he's just like... He's an apprentice angel. So maybe all angels have to earn their wings. Yeah, that is true. I was going to say, I'm not a... I'm not a uh, perfectionist in the whole uh, spiritual world. Okay, uh, so I do actually have uh, something I thought about before we started recording. I want to propose something to you. Exact same script... Exact same cast, except Cavender and the other angels are replaced with biblically accurate angels. Just wheels within wheels, burning a thousand eyes. Oh, hell yeah. Of course. That's yeah, all then it would also, up. this script would then be really funny. <laughs> we didn't have the budget back then. We didn't have the budget. I think you just get like a couple of wooden wheels, catch them on fire and stick eyes all over them. You could do that on a 60s budget. And they talk to each other? That's what we're getting at? Yeah, yeah, they talk exactly the same script. <laughs> just it's, it's burning wheels within wheels. I like that, yeah. 
No, but one of my first notes is, see, the laugh track lets you know that the aliens, I mean angels, are funny. So we were in kind of this weird gray area between angels and aliens, and it's still better than the two-headed alien from Mr. Jingle. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, low bar. Here, Here's one I thought about um, when he's talking to all of the waitresses when the party's about to start. Um, it mm. made me think about a scene from another movie, um, which was talking to the Korean waitress androids and Cloud Atlas. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it felt similar, you know, how the, the, the what was it, the cigarette girls were all um, almost like robotic in this case. I also mm-hmm. noted that he called her um, Burnett on screen. Oh, oh, did he? Why did he do that? Because I thought, oh, she's just going to keep her name. That's, I made a note about that. I guess she doesn't change her name for the episode. And then later they start calling her um, by a different name, Miss Grep, right? So Yeah. But I, I, I thought think, at one point I thought I heard somebody call her Carol. But And I heard the Burnett. So, yeah, maybe yeah. people were, were, like, just, like, slipping a bit, you know? Which is yeah. weird if Rod was there, like, watching it and making sure, you know, the reels are turning, but not the angel wheels. So, um Glitter, glitter proves your guardian angel, right? If I can produce glitter out of nowhere, that means I'm going to make it hang in the air and write words. I think so. Yeah, I need I need to learn that. Uh, what are some other notes? Uh, I was going to say real quick. Speaking on being uh, names being mentioned, did you ever catch the name Polk being mentioned? That was uh, the head angel. That was Howard Smith. I never heard the name Polk ever be mentioned once. The lead angel guy, but they give <laughs> him the credit. They, they give him that name in the the credits oh that's because you know in the upcoming full season of cavender is coming he would have (laughs) been a major character so he's already been named he's in the show bible already he's like the perry white of the show yeah but the um in this case the show bible is just the actual christian bible (laughs) (laughs) well obviously not because we didn't get your angels did we no yeah you know you you live by the book you put wheels within burning wheels of course um oh here we go uh luke just to just to match with you i i did write you see it's funny because he resigned and then jumped out the window which yes that that was great <laughs> very out of nowhere too but that was uh, great as like i said as a parody of twilight zone episodes yeah, i don't think it would have been as funny if it was this was just a pilot for an unrelated sitcom mm. becoming after like them using that as a get out of jail free card so many times seeing it used that flippantly there was really really funny i also oh i what would i have i just have that all the 60s alcohol and this sounds like headache fuel what was the choice it was like a a sherry or something else that would give me an instant it was like homemade gin yeah Yeah, definitely gin sauce definitely gin I, i like gin like in a gin and tonic but i don't think i would drink my neighbor's homemade gin. You don't want moonshine? You go blind um, for a while? Be excited. There was a time there was a time I would have been bang up for moonshine, but those days are behind me, I think. <laughs> no, I'm from the south and I, I never did the moonshine. Mike and the moonshine. My dad bought something a year or two ago that he claimed was moonshine, but it was like artisanal moonshine, right? So it wasn't really moonshine. Uh, it was just I did drive yeah. by a gin in a backcountry road. I couldn't think of a funny joke for what I could say it was instead of moonshine. <laughs> it's be, oh, it's, it's just star twinkle. <laughs> Good morning, star shine. Um, yeah. 
but yeah, I, I drove past a back alley still once and took like an art photograph of it. So that, that was fun. So at least on a '90s, you can still find that in Georgia. You know, I saw someone playing banjo on a on a, a country store porch once. He, he, I'm always he, disappointed when I remember that you can play all of those string instruments except yeah. the banjo, which I feel like you should banjo. be able to play. Oh, if you gave you, me a you, banjo. you never have. <laughs> well, no one's giving me a banjo. Give me a banjo, I'll play it. Sure, I'm sure I could handle a banjo. Yeah. Okay, Steve Martin. <laughs> <laughs> you take your ukulele and you get right next to him. You should have started playing. That's what I'll say. I think a ukulele is the same tuning, maybe the same tuning as a banjo. I don't know. I haven't touched one before. So, <laughs> but no, if it's got strings on it, I can usually make it sound like something. So, uh, well, a harp, I might, you know, I mean, you, yeah, that would be harder, I suppose. That's different. There were no harps here. Angels should have harps, mm. especially if we're doing cheesy '60s angels. So, uh, bouncing around, nice amount of money, still only kind of nice for 1962. Bowling, I thought that was interesting. I was hearing recently about how much cooler bowling was in the '50s than it is now. So now it's kind of like she want to go hang out at the goth club, apparently. Mm. But here it's like I want to go bowling. Which which seems I don't know. Yeah, I'm surprised here. I, I mean, got two bowling alleys still, and they're still in business and still doing good. Surprisingly, all the sitcoms were all about bowling, so that makes sense if you're trying to get into the making a sitcom. And you get into the bowling scene. Yeah, the the bowling alley near here closed, but then it reopened, probably under you know different owners or whatever. So it went hmm. away and then came back. The other one, I think they teared it down and built a funeral home. And they I were mean, really I remember... close to each other too. It was weird. They were like within like three hundred meters of each other, which is probably yeah. They maybe they offered the thing to have your ashes made into a bowling ball. Ooh, that'd be cool. <laughs> put it in the bowling ball. Skull put into a bowling ball, like in Mystery Men. Yeah. Nice. Put, you better make your will now that you want to be buried in a bowling ball. No. <laughs> bold with, bold with, as a yeah. No, I want to be put in like formaldehyde jelly, but with electrodes plugged into me. And then when people walk past, I go like, <clears throat> and scare them. Do the changes in this, because I, I guess it starts getting weird when her, you know, the people she knows doesn't know her anymore, which mm. I mean, that's that that is a bummer. Like, I mean, if she had a nice life, but still knew her friends, that'd be cool. Um, so I, I, I started thinking about if this is a early kind of butterfly effect thing or if it's just a simple like it's a wonderful life sort of thing uh what do you take on that? the latter <laughs> don't yeah, get okay. discredited it doesn't deserve okay yeah you're probably right i just want to say butterfly effect because it's such a fun phrase to say um, mm. I, I was a little offended at the end of the party that, that no one ate the olives in their martinis I, i'm not a big fan of olives but you got to eat the olive in your martini and and the worm in your mezcal yeah, if there's a free yeah. snack with your drink, you got to eat it. That's right, yeah. So, You know who was at this party that I don't always notice was uh, Donna Douglas from Eye of the Beholder and from Beverly Hillbillies. Ellie Mae Clampett. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's at the end of Eye of the Beholder. Sorry, she was just at the party? Was she one of those? Yeah, things? she was very... She was the one in the, the long gloves. Uh, and then towards the end of the party, she says, Oh, what a party, Aggie. Goodbye. She's got the long low, and they even give her credit on waking in at the end of the episode. I think I think they just call her like woman number two. But yeah, she was with a uh, guy at the party. Yeah, you'd think she'd get a bigger role after already being on the zone, you know, kind of like a uh, legacy thing, but I guess not. Yeah. 
I mean, I never normally noticed it, but then after a couple times of watching, I was like, oh, yeah, she is at the party. That is her. Just her hair's all different than you normally see. Hey, Luke, would you, what if we just changed um, Cavender to more of a, a drunken scum bum? You know, I mean, well, I guess he already is one, but we can up. Yeah, that he is a drunk. See, yeah, I think a funnier. A funnier premise for a sitcom would be if he just goes in and ruins people's lives and they don't find out they're happier at the end. If the episode had been like, if the episode had been like, he gets his wings, oh yeah, good job, she's now a successful and rich person. And then we just cut to her like crying alone in the bathtub. And it's like... (laughs) (laughs) Or it goes even even darker. (laughs) <laughs> Kevin just goes around ruining people's lives, but like saying, "Like now, all your problems are solved." It's the Twilight Zone. You can do that, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can go that dark. That's the point of the show. I don't know. I feel uh Twilight Zone does, but I feel that was more Hitchcock route. Like Alfred Hitchcock presents would get really dark at the end sometimes, but of course they couldn't show it because it was still the early '60s, you know, late '50s. I, I guess this one just, and maybe one of the reasons that. Uh, you know there's not that many points to talk about is this is like maybe the one of the least progressive of episodes just in ideas you know there's like no philosophical ideas other that are higher than sunday school level here really but maybe the reason rod sterling wanted to switch to doing this because he was sick of trying to push through ideas that the studio were not ready for or just like fine i'll just write the most basic Christian sitcom imaginable <laughs> and give up trying to be interesting. Yeah, that and there is the season three. I mean, Serling, this is right about the point that he um, starts teaching in New York most of the time. So mm. he's definitely losing his attention span on the show somewhat. Might just be like, hey, I could write like crappy sitcom episodes. Like, I can just spit those out and then go do a few lectures. Hmm. I wonder if, well, again, as we've seen, he's incorrect. He cannot write comedy, <laughs> but maybe he doesn't realize. Yeah, I guess he didn't realize that writing comedy is actually possibly harder than other kinds of writing. When it comes to comedy, I guess Frisbee really did it for me. But yeah, now that I think about it, a lot of the comedy episodes weren't Frisbee was decent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Was that a selling joint? I um, I need to check back on my notes, but I can. Yeah, we need to double that. check that. I don't, I don't know if it is. Someone else has to make a point while I'm checking that. I think the but the reason frisbee worked more than others is because it was still doing twilight, very twilight zoney stuff, and that was the joke, right? The twilight zone has these far out situations, and it was what if a guy lied about being in all of these wacky situations and then was in one, which was funny. But then we yeah. have other ones where it's just. This is like, if this episode wasn't trying to be funny, I don't think it would, it wouldn't even be like an, an interesting premise for a Twilight Zone. Here, here, this might be part of, I brought up my notes for Frisbee and uh, my trivia on that was that the script is Rod Serling, though the story is credited to Frederick Louis Fox. I guess the point being that there was a better story seed for that, because in this episode, it really just seems like, hey, guys, I'm trying to be funny. And I have a feeling maybe Rod was quite funny if you encountered him at a party. So, you know, you, that happens. You assume you can write jokes. You're already a writer, that you know, renowned writer. I can do that. And eh, that was not his forte. Yeah, know? I remember um, 
There used to be a really good like video games YouTube channel I used to watch called Video Gamer. Um, and like the guys on that were really funny. And like when every other channel was doing really dry content, they were doing really funny stuff. And then like, as the channel sort of, they all left, one of them did like his own YouTube channel. And then he tried to just do a sketch comedy show on there. And it was like, oh, you're not that funny. Yeah. Like you were funny when it was in the context where everyone else was being serious and you were having fun with it. But you're not funny enough to just like, do comedy on your own yeah it's like sometimes what you want to do is not your strength you know like like i make a lot of music the thing i could just sit down and spit out is like probably like country and folk music which isn't really my favorite you know mm. but i just seem to be able to do that well and you know i really want to make electro funk and maybe that doesn't come out as well as i want you know <laughs> yeah well as we discussed at the weekend matt you're you're too white to make funk Right, right, exactly. That's kind of why I'm bringing it up. Like, I feel like, oh, I can't really hit that nail on the head, you know? Yeah. So that might be the certain thing. Like, hey, I really want to be like, you know, the funny guy of television, but that's just not in the cards. <laughs> and it goes the other way. Like, a lot of people who do write write good comedy, it turns out are not funny people in real life. Like, it's two different talents. So maybe Rod is like a really funny guy to be around. And that's why he can put funny character moments in his episodes. But that doesn't mean he's got the chops to be like a full-on comedy writer. No, with the Marx yeah. Brothers, uh, Zeppo apparently was the funny one if you're having dinner with them. Groucho and Harpo were bummers, and uh, Chico would get you in trouble with, uh, you know, gambling, drinking, and women. So, <laughs> But he wouldn't be funny. He'd just be like, you know, mm. going to extremes. Whereas on screen, they're hysterical, of course. They're the Marx Brothers. But yeah, I, I, I especially find it interesting that, you know, Groucho and Harpo were kind of bummers to be around personally that's what they say <laughs> i guess i'll start throwing out some questions unless someone does have a big observation maybe that is where this i um oh go ahead i do got something i don't know how true this is i just found this on a website today doing research sorry i didn't get the website's name um supposedly rod Pornhub.com. Ah, that's where it is. <laughs> How do they know about Rod Sterling? <laughs> so uh, I got this Rod Sterling penned a letter to Carol Burnett uh, a couple weeks before this aired, exactly three weeks and one day before the episode aired. He said, the show you did for us is not good and it's not bad, which makes it lousy. With a combination of talents like yours and Jesse's, it should have been walloping, except walloping exceptional. I don't know. That doesn't seem right. That it isn't. Yeah, this is the grammar on this. I should have I looked at this a little better. That it isn't points up to the fact that you were done wrong by all concern. The script, I guess, is part of the trouble. But even more palpable, I'm even saying that word right, is the direction. This was quite the most heavy-handed, ham-fisted, squarest directing I've ever cried through. God knows. Sorry. God knows when it's scheduled for, and I hope you'll be out on a ferry boat someplace so you won't have to see it. I promise that if I give a, if I give you a second chance, someday I'll make it up to you. Or if given a second chance, I'll make it up to you. So he Sorry, I was, I was struggling power. to read through that because I noticed periods and commas weren't in certain places they should have been. So. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I guess that shows that Serling, like, at least uh, the writing was on the wall for him before... before... Maybe he thought it was good. Maybe he thought like um, it was originally going to be a good idea. Then the process of actually doing it broke him. 
you know, kind of. And then he, he had to pin that letter, like, I'm so sorry. Like, hopefully I can make it up to you in a second chance one day, which when they never really got to work together a second time, you know. And that explains why I was kind of surprised that this was the only um, Christian Ivy credit because I'm like, well, he did thing from another world. Oh, why do you only do one Twilight Zone? And well, that explains probably why. <laughs> like, don't hire this guy again. Well, don't hire this guy for comedies again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was. I mean, think from another world. When we watched it, yeah, it's not as good as the Carpenter one, but it, you know, it wasn't a bad. It's perfectly Ivy watchable. Yeah, film. yeah, yeah. So, um, it might just be like they. As he said, they just failed her by getting the not an untalented guy, but the wrong guy. Mm -hmm. Oh, I do have another question to pose. Does does anybody know how that inflation calculator thing works? Does anybody got one on there, <laughs> Andy, I, on them? Because I, I got a number to throw at you. Oh, well, what did you say, Matt? Sorry, well, I did think you. about the amount in the show. It was twenty eight thousand. Was it twenty three thousand three hundred sixty seven and nineteen cents? What would that equivalent to in twenty twenty four? Doesn't seem like it'd be a lot. Sixty thousand. Really? That's, uh, that's too huh. low. Maybe I'll just say a square hundred. I'm going to guess a square hundred thousand. Um, yeah, it's still. Um, it wouldn't be as much as it would have been back in the sixties. And I'm, that was another thing. I had a question. What time period do you think this is? Is it just modern day? I took modern this... from the bus. I would take modern day. Yeah. Yeah. So I was thinking $233,000 today. Okay. Ooh. So a 10 time multiply almost a quarter of a yep. million. Yeah. It's a lot, but it's not insane. I mean, no, I, could, I guess he didn't want to like, I, well, I guess if someone is just like, here's 10 million bucks, that's that's its own curse. So maybe this is a amount of money where it's nice, but it's not necessarily. Yeah, the work. point was just that she could, you know, live in a house and not work. It wasn't that she was going to be, you know, a baroness or whatever. Right. So at least I guess that's reasonable. But yeah, I, I was just, uh, I noticed that's a nice am amount of money, but still only kind of nice for 1962. No, I mean, if someone uh, gives that to me, I'll be happy as a clam, sure. But yeah. No, um, yeah, now you got to convert what does it uh, translate to in yen? Is, uh... Oh, oh, geez. Basically, uh, just add two zeros. That's changed <laughs> recently, though. That's why I have my Amazon. A little account. bit, but not much. I mean, and it depends on what context. Are you talking about literally converting it or are you talking about day-to-day -day living? Because for us in Japan, the yen hasn't really changed. Like I was going to say, if you it's took... It's worth less dollars when you translate it now. Oh, well, I was just basically going to say, if you took all that cash from the United States and you had to convert it into Japan money... Add two zeros and more or less double it. Okay. So a fair amount of, of yen in place yeah. there. But yeah, yeah, it's it's it's. I guess it's life changing, but it's not like you know, like Aladdin style insanity. Is my point. Um, it I could be want... life changing without like being life ruining in the way that some amounts of money can accidentally be. Yes, um, and you notice if I, these... if I was given two hundred and thirty grand, um, I would make an indie film. Can you direct? Or are you going to produce? Uh, I'd find out. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so you're going to be director, producer, all that? Lead actor. Write the theme tune, his... sing the theme tune. <laughs> yeah. He's going to make be his own Citizen Kane, but more credits, more credits. 
I'm the only one in this movie. Okay. Let's make the credits easier at the end. You just got to put one name on there. And then, yeah, I'll do it Hideo Kojima style. And you need to <laughs> hire another guy named Luke Summerhays to be the cameraman. Yeah, I'd hire that swimmer. <laughs> yes, hire the swimmer to be the cameraman, then every credit can be Luke Summerhays. So that's cool. Uh, weird words. I remember somewhere around in previous seasons somewhere like the same weird word keeps cropping up in the scripts uh recently that would be a uh, discobuberated yes but that also popped up in mr beavis and it was in mr beavis okay and it was in yeah. something else recently i don't quite remember which one but uh yeah that's certain i don't know i guess we should all like try and get that word back in common use. again maybe it's a word that it was really funny when um when rod would say it in you know social gatherings and he thought that just putting it in a script would be funny. He probably put zing on the boob. I don't know. That's how you say it funny, right? Yeah. Just come boob oriented. One of the lines I never got in Twilight Zone, because maybe it was a term in the 60s that I just didn't get, was in season four. Uh, I'm blanking on the episode right now. But there's this one line that says, they're calling muster on me. They're calling Not muster. Mustard. On me. Not muster. Like a... Like M- not like months it's M-U-S-T-E-R. Yeah. They're calling muster on me. I think I guess I don't well, I'll get to that when I get to it, but muster is like yeah. rounding the troops together or something. Muster the men. Yeah. The way he was talking, it was like he was trying to describe like they were thinking he was crazy. Like they're calling me a loony. Well they're if, calling muster on me. If he says something crazy, then that works. They're calling him crazy. He says something crazy. I think it was uh uh, the Thirty Fathom Grave. That was the episode. It was okay. Yeah, I I think if I haven't said it on air, I I think I've seen the parallel, and that's about it for season four. Uh, so far, obviously, in a few months that will change. But that's a trippy one. Yeah, that's a trippy that, one. Well, yeah, say. well, that's why that's the that would be a big tripometer. <laughs> we'll see. Season we'll four see. might be when I have to finally actually pay for these because watching them on dodgy websites where they freeze every two minutes is annoying enough for a twenty-minute episode. If it drags out a 40-minute episode to an hour, I might just quit. So, <laughs> And one thing I've never gotten either is in the syndication packages, season four has never even been included. If you're putting them on syndication, you want to be able to slide them all into the same time spot, I suppose. So. Yeah. And I don't Not think I understand how any of that works. Too very well. So, yeah. They like, just... for the sci-fi marathon, you'll get two or three, maybe. But they'll put those, like, wee hours in the morning, so... Unless you have the DVDs or something, you better stay up in the wee hours of the morning if you want to catch those episodes. The later Twilight Zones, like the 80s one and the Peel one, are they 40 minutes? Mm-hmm. They are more yeah. variable in length. I what I have a little bit of... um, the, the Peels are at least like, you know, like modern television. Like, if it needs to be 30 minutes, it's 30. If it needs to be an hour or seven, it's an hour or seven, you know? Uh, okay. The 80s one is weird that it was fit into a time slot, but you'll get 10-minute episodes and then... Yeah. Like, 30 minute like they're all over the place i think they do two for one in some of them right two two and one yeah but yeah in terms of this podcast like well am i gonna make one episode for a 10 minute twilight zone i probably not i don't i just watched uh yeah do it why not i just watched one uh 80s episode it was called i am newton with uh sherman helmsley sherman helmsley sir yeah i got the discs in a like when I started this podcast, I got the eighties one, watched several of them, but now I've kind of put them on ice. Cause I'm like, well, the podcast is going to get to them eventually. So I'll wait. <laughs> I tried with Batman on ice. 
That's right. Sorry, you gave me another. No, one. you had another one to do. You had, an, you had another one, Luke. You were supposed to do what killed dinosaurs? The ice age. The ice age. <laughs> Let me do my questions. Uh, in this episode, who went in through into the Twilight Zone? I said Rob Serling when he discovered that what he thought was his life was actually not. He had the most Twilight Zone experience of anyone, I think. He had to write that letter. Yeah. Um, I he had his like dreams come true, and then turns out they were a nightmare. I do like that answer, but I do have to be like, well, narratively, who went in or through the Twilight Zone? Well, you can say that. I'm not going to give you one. Okay. I got, that's why I got <laughs> difficult, are we, do Luke, difficult. That's why, I got, that's why I got two guests today. That's your cue, Sean. Yeah. Okay. So yes. Join we'll me. Go, we'll, we'll go with the fair answer here. <laughs> Miss uh, Agnes Grepp went into the Coward. Twilight Zone. <laughs> yeah. I guess Cavender is too much of the Twilight Zone, but he's such a goofball. You're supposed to still relate to him. So I, I do wonder if I should consider him also have. You know, he's having this experience, it's like one for the angels or something. I guess uh, less dark than that, of course, but. I wouldn't say to a better episode. <laughs> does any of your neighbors go into the Twilight Zone? Did they realize what happened, or is it just back to the normal status quo for them once it all goes back to normal? If you got a physicist living next door, yeah, reality change. It's like Scarlet Witch stuff going on here, right? Yeah. <laughs> but um, well, let's put it on Miss Grep then. I guess that makes the sense. Where it does well? Okay, no, let's do let's do Luke's first. Did Rod Serling deserve this? Um, I will have to wait and see how good seasons four and five are, because if it made him like reappraise and think, oh, actually, I should. This show is really good. I'm not cut out for comedy. I should double down. Then, yeah, maybe it did him good. If it just bummed him out and ruined his day, then I don't think he deserved that. He seems like a nice guy. Yeah, looking over again, I haven't seen season four, but it looks like there's not so much comedy in season four. I mean, well, I did. Mark did share that um, the comments on season three. Where like the guy was like, oh great, and the other guy was like, "F you, it's the worst season." <laughs> <laughs> season so three, maybe, I yeah. know a lot of people don't like season five, but season three, wow. I feel like I mean, three it's like season. everything, right? Someone says it's the yeah. best thing ever, and someone says it's the worst thing ever. That's the internet for you. Yeah, well, they say our opinions are all like assholes. We all got them. Uh, you know, it's like on our uh, our Trekkie friends always say every episode is somebody's favorite and someone's least favorite, right? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, aren't you uh, in the category with that? Uh, isn't there a Star Trek Next Generation episode or Voyager episode that you like that not a lot of other people like, uh, Matt? Oh, oh, hell yeah. Yeah, Matt's um, the weirdly a huge Voyager fan. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, of course, Oblivion from Voyager. I feel like people... Oh, no, the fight. The fight even more so. Um, I even understand it's not a good episode, but I love it because it has chaotic space and Chakotay boxing in his head, inside his head. And it's really ham-fisted, like literally and figuratively. Um, <laughs> Whenever I think of Star Trek episode and I think of a fight, I just think of the original series, you know, where dun, 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 Spock dun, had to battle dun, uh, Kirk. Dun, 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 dun. I mean, the music does it, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's some of the best, the, the, the only real fight music, I think. I don't know. You can correct me if I'm wrong. So, okay. Which that, Jim Carrey movie is it that uses that? Is it um, Cable Guy? I was a... But I was Wait, that's not even him. Cable guy. No, that yeah. is, that's Jim Carrey. No, that's him. Okay, yeah, yeah. First twenty million dollar paycheck given to an mm -hmm. actor for Jim Carrey for the Cable Guy. Now you gotta nice. pay him. That's why Endgame costs so much to make. They had to pay all the actors. Yeah, because yeah, he didn't spend it on the effects. 
Um, so Miss Grep, does she deserve this? I mean, she kind of yeah. She kind of gets accosted, doesn't she? I'm she saying she doesn't deserve. Well, and it costs her in more ways than one. When you had Jean Paul Pierre making out with her arm, that's not even the dude's real name. I'm just making. He's a French guy. He sounded French, <laughs> but that guy that was all making out with her arm and kissing her fingers and stuff. But and she was like, did she pulled her hand back and she's like, what are you trying to get a piece of meat or whatever she said. I assume this was going to turn to an eyes wide shut party, you know, five hours down the line. Oof. You know, I think, no, there was only one party this was going to be. And I will say she did deserve it. She didn't deserve this. But I will say there was this only, it was only going to be a cocktail party because Cavadier set up the party. He loves his cigars. He loves his, his gin, you know, so this had to involve booze. I don't know if eyes wide shut, if it was a booze party. I know there was orgies and stuff. <laughs> I've never actually seen the movie. I assume they're, no, I think they were drinking there too. I mean, you know, it's, it's the, Probably the pills getting passed around. Here. Yeah, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I, I, did she learn anything from this experience? I mean, she's like, wait. The yeah. angels seem to think so. So, what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just like, yeah. Anytime you have a bad day, you feel better when you have a good day. That doesn't mean that like she needed this exact experience. She is like way too energetic at the end when she gets her life back. So, but I guess that's once again that's the wonderful life trope where you're like, oh, mm-hmm. la 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 la, that sort of thing. So, tripometer, uh, Luke, you, I know you don't want to give a number, so what are you going to give this one? Okay, uh, Sean, you want to <laughs> put a number on it or not? You can make a noise if you want to guess. He did. I wish I could make a Tim Allen noise, but that's not deserving of a Tim Allen noise. Um, I I just I gotta go with the two. The only reason I'm going with the two, at least, is because she did enter a Twilight Zone and she did trip out because she got to see an alternate reality where she was Miss Bell the Ball. You know, everybody was uh uh they weren't her real friends, but they were there kind of support her, and she got to see what the rich life looked like for at least a second, and she had to see how much she missed her normal ordinary life so yeah a little tricky i, I guess I, w- I w- yeah i was thinking like one 1.5 um one of those i, I never really settled on one but the, the point is yeah it's it's trying to be funny it's so you're saying this trippy. is less trippier than mr beavis because yeah. i just listened to mr beavis with you doing that you gave it a two point like image it was two point something i couldn't remember that exact moment i I feel it's been a while since I watched this review, but I felt like that had a little bit more like weirdness. I do it, remember liking Beavis. Beavis a little more than this. Mm-hmm. I think the two parts that made me like it was Beavis himself was more interesting than her. Because like he was a little weirdo even before he met an angel. And then I liked the gag of his own guardian angel really doesn't like him. Yeah. It was a funnier gag than Cavendish Cavendish just being an idiot. That's Orson Bean in that episode, is it? Yeah, and I think with Mr. Beavis, uh, wasn't he going to be evicted? I was thinking at the end of the episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. His life was absolutely falling apart at the start. Yeah. He was, like, fired from his job. Everyone hated him, lost his car, evicted from his apartment. Or sure, Agnes can't hold a job, but at least she's got a steady place of living, you know, and she's got uh, people mm-hmm. around her. Whereas yeah. Beavis, he can't even get to work without the help of kids pushing his car. Here we go. I'm I'm looking at the prologue for Beavis, and this automatically means it has a higher tripometer. 
Uh, tastes lean towards stuffed animals, zither music, professional football, Charles Dickens, moose heads, carnivals, dogs, children, and young ladies. I mean, that alone, that's weirder than anything in, in Cavender, I think. Like, you, that, never want, you never want to be in a situation where people can say your tastes lean towards children. I was oh, just going to yeah. say this might put him on a certain list in 2024. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was reading verbatim there. I probably, <clears> you know, now you might not include that. List. I, I think I finally know what BW stands for in James BWDB. It's What's Boy Watcher. Boy Watcher. <laughs> <laughs> so that, yeah, yeah. Cancel that episode now. Okay. <laughs> uh, any final thoughts before we. Uh, Cavender came. Let's send him out the door as quickly as we can. Uh, but any any final? My Cavender, closing... I hardly know her. Hmm. My closing thoughts would be Cavender came, he saw, and he kicks a bass. Did he? <laughs> well, uh, he kicked his liver's ass. He drank a lot of booze. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't see the... Uh, well, we did see some of the drunken fights. Didn't we? He passed out at one point, I think. Yeah, good for him. Passing out of this episode is a is a is a good move, I think. <laughs> Anywho, hang up the hat. Uh, if you want to support Time Enough Podcast, we're on Patreon at Podcastio Podcastius. You can hear a little extra. You can get them early. Luke is there. He loves Pokemon. Hyrule Fuel Report talking about the Zelda game game show, doing the games with the gamers. But you're not a. We gamer. just recorded an episode with Matt on it. Yep. And, and you said you're not a gamer. He didn't, Luke doesn't want to be a gamer. No. Right. I would never choose to refer to myself as a gamer. Radio. Okay. The, the, every every time a drunken angel falls, a boy lover gets his wings? What? Every time a cigar falls from heaven, it's okay. Every time you touch yourself, an angel loses his wings. <laughs> Damn, I've lost, I've cost a lot of angels' wings. <laughs> <laughs>